Hello, and welcome to The Great Collide, where we explore the intersection between politics and faith. I am Jasmine Taylor. And I'm Leanne Noland. America's religious landscape is undergoing a profound shift. Over the last 30 years, the percentage of Americans who identify as non-religious has quadrupled, and nearly half of Generation Z considers themselves to be nuns, as in my religious affiliation is none. <laughs> so Leanne, this change has profound implications for upcoming elections, including the 2024 presidential contest. To break it down, we welcome Ryan Burge, Associate Professor of Political Science at Eastern Illinois University and the Research Director for Faith Counts. Thanks so much for having me, Liz. I really appreciate being here. We're glad to have you. My first question for you is, since the 1960s, we've seen traditional mainline religions decline while evangelical churches prosper. Is this a continuation of that trend or is this something different going on, would you say? Uh, I think it is part of a larger movement in American society around the concept of polarization. You know, we, we talk a lot about political polarization in this country. Um, you know, Ezra Klein wrote a book called Why We're Polarized. It's something like you if you go on you know social media at all, you hear talk about political. The Republicans have become more conservative. The Democrats have become more liberal. There's no room in the middle for kind of a, a moderate thinker or, or, or a politician. I think if you translate that same idea to religion, you get a lot of the same outcomes. And the main line in America used to be the most prominent religious tradition in the country. In the 1950s, there are there's data that says about 50% of Americans were attached to a mainline congregation. Um, by the 1970s, that had dropped to 30%. Um, by the 1990s, that had dropped to 20%. And today, about one in 10 Americans are part of a mainline church. And I think in the near future, it's going to be 5% just based off of demographics. The average mainline Protestant now is about 60 years old. So, you know, I mean, the graveyard is coming. For a lot of those churches and you can go on the list you know the the pcusa presbyterian church usa had 3.1 million members in 1984 it has 1.1 million members today i'm um, very much could be an extinct in 30 or 40 years um united methodist church is going through this kind of horrendous split over all the issues that are surrounding you know everything else going on the episcopal church has about a quarter million people in, in church on a sunday across the country a quarter million people so you start looking at all these numbers and you realize the middle of american religion has been hollowed out and the, evangel the share of Americans who identify as evangelical today is the same as it was 15 years ago. About a third of Americans self-identify as born again or evangelical. So that hasn't changed. And we've seen the nuns rise. So I think what we're seeing is we're seeing the hollowing out of the middle of religion. The middle tranche is just disappearing now. And in the future, we're just going to have a whole bunch of non-religious people on one side. And on the other side, we're going to have not just evangelicals, but also traditional Catholics, right, who are like pre-Vatican II Catholics, but also conservative Muslims. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, actually about six months ago, the book bans were really kicking off in, in Michigan, and a lot of evangelicals stood up at a local school meeting you know, in, in favor of book bans. And you know who joined arms with them? Muslims. Um, because I think they see themselves as being, you know, they disagree on theology, but they agree on culture war type issues, social issues. And so I think the future looks like a lot of those conservative religious groups on one side and a lot of nuns on the other side. And a lot of Americans are standing in the middle of this going, I wish I could be religious. I wish I could find a congregation that does not make me shake my head. I want to believe in Jesus. I want to be part of something. But every church around me is saying that gay people can't get married and that, you know, that Donald Trump's a good representation of Christianity and all the things that I don't like. So those are the kind of people who have been lost, 
over the last 20, 30, 40 years. And I think because the religion's been polarized, they have nowhere to go and they're going to end up becoming nuns when they don't want to be nuns because they have no other choice. Hmm. So Ryan, where, where are, are these declines taking place? Is this nationwide? Are there pockets of the country that are seeing this more? Yeah. Um, so if you actually look at the map, um, and I have a county by county level data, it's called the religion census, which is a tremendous data source that, uh, they contact every religious body in America and ask them, can you give us data on you know number of churches, where they are, how many people they have, things like that. So you can track change over time at the county level, really granular data. If you look at where religions decline between 2010 and 2020, it's not where people think. It's actually not on the coast. It's it's actually a, a broad swath through the middle part of America, you know, kind of like around Iowa, Michigan, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas. Um, and then down into Kansas and Nebraska, places like that, that's where we're actually seeing the biggest declines in religion. Um, we're seeing huge increases in religion in places like Florida and South Texas and even in Southern California. And, you know, a lot what a lot of those places have in common is Hispanics. They have a lot of Hispanic immigration over the last 10 or 15 years. And a lot of Hispanics come to America with a religious tradition. They bring with them typically Catholicism, not always, but usually Catholicism. And they come to this country and they maintain that Catholicism when they come to America. So, I mean, I think we've got these these issues where some parts of America are becoming much more religious, and then you got some parts of America becoming much less religious. And it's not exactly where you would think that would be true, right? It's not like the God – like I know for a long time there was this narrative like godless Oregon or the Pacific Northwest was godless. They actually haven't lost religion over the last 10 years. They were never that religious to begin with in the first place. It's rural America actually is where a lot of religion is declining, um, and I think there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. You talked a little bit about a breakdown of what was happening in specific denominations, but can you go a little bit further and drill down about the trends that you see happening in, in individual denominations? Yeah, so um, speaking broadly, every there's, so there's seven sisters in the main line. That's what they're called, you know, the ABC, USA, PCUSA, UMC, UCC, DOC, um, ELCA, and I forgot, uh, Episcopal Church. That's the seven sisters. All seven are declining. Now, the rate of decline is, is different. Some of them, it's only 20%, but there are some denominations like the ELCA, for instance, has lost almost half its membership in the last 30 years. Um, and so, you know, the, the main line is just really, really speaking broadly, denominations are not doing well in America. And that and that's not just the main line, okay? So, for instance, the Southern Baptist Convention was, and still is, the largest denomination on earth, largest Protestant denomination on earth. They had 16.2 million people in the Southern Baptist Convention in 2006, but today they have just over 13 million. They've lost 1.3 million in the last three years alone. Um, so they're declining incredibly rapidly as well. So it's not just a, a mainline denominational decline. It's actually a Southern Baptist Convention decline. Um, the only tradition that's – well, okay, there's one denomination that's doing well, and that's the Assemblies of God. Um, they've doubled in size over the last 30 years, gone from 1.5 to 3 million members. Um, and it actually creates this really interesting counterexample because a lot of the people, a lot of uh, evangelicals say, well, the reason we're not declining is because we're so conservative. Like the Southern Baptists said a lot, but the AOG uh, uh, ordains women and they're doing just fine. So it kind of like cuts the narrative apart, like because they're in certain ways, they're not very conservative, they're actually quite liberal on certain issues. Not other issues are actually very conservative. But the only besides AOG, the only real tradition in America that's increasing are, is non-denominational Protestant Christianity. Um, according to the 2020 religion census, it the Catholic, there's more Catholics than anybody else. There's like 62 million Catholics in America, but second place 
is non-denominational Protestants. There are 22 million non-denominational Protestants in America. Oh, there's only 13 million Southern Baptists. So, you know, do the math. There's more, way more, and there's only 6 million United Methodists. So you start doing the math and realizing uh, non-denominationalism, it's actually grown over the last 10 years. About 3% more Americans are non-denominational today, but the Baptists are down, the Methodists are down, the Episcopalians are down, the, the Lutherans are down, the Presbyterians are down. Everyone else is down except for non-denominationals. And I, I will think, I will tell you, I think the interesting thread there is the Assemblies of God and these non-denominationals have a common theme, and that is charismatic worship. Most non-denominational churches in America are charismatic to a now there's a gradient, right? There's the 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 you know the rolling on the floor and all the other like the really like speaking in tongues charismatic, but then there's the praise band with the clap the hands and the dancing around and things like that. And I think most non-denominational churches are at least on that level doing some sort of charismatic worship. I think the future of American Christianity is charismatic Christianity, and actually the future of world Christianity is charismatic Christianity. If you go to places like Africa. The, the Pentecostalism is exploding all across Africa. So I think the future of, and this actually kind of, <laughs> the main line does not do well in this conversation. The Southern Baptists do not do well in this conversation because the ecstatic worship and the kind of the spectacle of, of, of charismatic worship is winning the day and winning over lots and lots of people in ways that I don't think the main line is fully capable of doing in its current iteration. Hmm. So to get... A little political here. How, how do you think these trends then will affect the electoral college? You know, especially in in swing states, Arizona. We talked about Wisconsin. Um, you know, Pennsylvania. These areas. What, what do you think about that? So I think Florida used to be seen as a purple state, right? It's always a toss of every. You know, like in two thousand, for instance, like that was like ground zero of the twenty the two thousand election. Uh, it was very close in the twenty two thousand election. I think that if you look at every data point about Florida in the last couple of years, it is red, red, red and getting redder. Um, Miami-Dade County used to be a, a blue stronghold, you know, 40 percent margins for Democrats. Now it's 10 percent margin for Democrats. So if you can't run up the score in a place like Miami-Dade County, you're going to get killed in rural Florida, especially in the panhandle, which is very conservative. So I think and, and a lot of that, by the way, is the fact that Miami-Dade County is way more religious today than it was 10 years ago. You know, the share that are, uh, are attached to a congregation has gone up 15% over the last 10 years. Most counties in Florida are more religious today than they were 10 or 15 years ago. So, you know, Florida is a state that's red and getting redder. Um, I think Texas is also not going to become a purple state in, in the near future. Um, there's a lot of immigration places like Houston, you know, Austin, uh, Dallas, places like that. But if you look at like rural Texas, it is getting even more conservative. My favorite example is Star County, which is a little county on the border on the Rio Grande Valley between Mexico and Texas. They have about 15,000 people. In, in 2010, a third of that county was attached to a religious congregation. In 2020, it was over 70% of the county was attached to a religious congregation. And a large that's Hispanics. And if you look at the vote share, uh, the Democrats did 40 points worse in 2020 versus 2016. So I think you're seeing a lot of those places. I think those are going to become red strongholds, Texas and Florida. I don't think those are going to become blue anytime soon. And then if you look at places like uh, in, in the article in Political, I talk about Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is a, a kind of a, a ritzy suburban county around Philadelphia. Um, it used to be a very toss-up county. I mean, a 50-50 county. And Biden won it by five points in 2020. But the share of Bucks County that's attached to a religious congregation dropped 18% between 2010 and 2020. So I think a lot of these suburban counties are becoming uh, less religious. And if they become less religious, they become more Democrat. So, you know, look around places like Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or Detroit 
or even, you know, Madison, Wisconsin or Milwaukee, places like that. If those counties continue to abandon religion as they did over the last 10 years, I think that makes those states a lot bluer because there's a lot of voters in suburban counties and they vote because they have higher education, higher income, all the things that lead to a higher level of voting. So I think it's really a story of America going two directions at one time in some ways becoming more conservative, in some ways becoming more liberal. And I think, unfortunately, the upshot of all that is there's going to be fewer purple states in America and more you know, dark red and dark blue states. So the, the electoral map is going to shrink and really narrow to only three or four states in the future. So do you have any data as to why so many people, particularly the Generation Zers, have, have lost interest in religion? 45% of Generation Z says they're atheist or agnostic or they have no religion in particular now, which is uh, significantly higher than younger generations. Uh, I think we can say statistically it's true that Gen Z is the least religious generation in American history, at least as far back as we have data. So, I mean, you know, if you look at even Gen X, the, the share who are Protestant or Catholic is much higher than the share that are nuns. So, you know, we've seen we're seeing this significant age effect happen. Um, the question is why? I think it's a couple of things. One is a lot of them are raised without religion, which is something we've not seen really in American history before. People usually, the vast majority of people were raised in a religious household. Even, you know, 20 years ago, a 90, I think 92% of people grew up in a, in a religious household one way or another. And now it's, you know, getting closer to 80%. So that's part of it, right? If you're raised, the most important determinant of your religion is the religion which you were raised in. Even today, um, you are still attached to what you you came up with. So when a few or fewer people are born or being raised with religion, that obviously has a, a deleterious impact. Um, I also think that young people are um, anti-institutional. They're, they're virulently anti-institutional uh, of any kind, whether that be government, banks, unions, corporations, and the church. And I think the the currency of the internet is cynicism, cynicism, cynicism. Everyone's out for themselves. Everyone's got their hand on the take. Everyone's trying to look out for, you know, why would someone run for office unless they want to get rich? Why would a pastor ask for money except if he wants to line his pockets, right? Why, why does religion even ask for money at all? Because they're a bunch of charlatans. Like there is no concept of the greater good out there that people actually do good things out of the kindness of their own hearts. And so I think when that infects everything that we don't trust institutions, I think that's what leads a lot of people away from religion because the kind of religion they see on the internet, which they are an incredibly internet-connected generation, easily the most internet-connected generation, and they grew up with the internet. Like they didn't, they have no, they have no concept of pre-internet. The iPhone came out in 2008. Okay, these people were born, um, they're born in 1996 or later. So the oldest of them were 12 years old when the iPhone came out. So they, none of them have any concept of of no smartphones. So they grew up on the internet, and the internet loves to traffic in controversy. So when Joel Osteen, you know, the plumber finds $70,000 in cash in a bathroom in his church, that becomes national news. When this, um, when the Southern Baptist Convention covers up a sexual abuse scandal, that becomes national news. The pedophilia scandal with the Catholic Church, that's become this guy asking for money for a private jet, that becomes news. They don't hear about religion doing things like feeding kids every weekend or visiting prisoners every weekend or providing clothes for kids who don't have clothes or backpacks for kids who don't have backpacks. They don't see, that's like the invisible social safety net. And that never makes the news. You never hear the story of a pastor serving his congregation for 50 years, never sleeping with a secretary, never stealing money out of the pot, and just serving and loving people for 50 years. That does not make any news. And the problem is when you hear one pastor molest a kid, which is awful, objectively awful, I'm not minimizing that, but when it's one out of 10,000, you need to put that in proper perspective. There's 9,999 pastors who do not do those things. Instead, we focus on the one who messes up, and that becomes like an infection for the entire institution. 
And I think that's the problem is these the generation that we have now has no concept of the larger narrative, which is that most churches do their job. They serve the community. They love people. They, they try to make the community, they try to make the world less awful. And I think we're not going to realize how much religion did until it doesn't exist anymore. And we're going to see a lot of kids fall behind, fall through the cracks, go hungry. We're going to see a lot of prisoners who could have been rehabilitated, not be rehabilitated. We're going to see a lot of people on the streets who would have not been on the streets if, you know, if churches still existed. And I think the problem is by the time we realize that it's too far gone. And you can't unring the bell. You can't go backwards. And so I think Generation Z doesn't understand all the good things that religion does. They only see the worst of it. Are we seeing political shifts within denominations? For instance, you hear about a lot more uh, young evangelicals who are becoming more liberal about LGBTQ issues and things like that. Do you, do, do we see um, so, sort of a shift in where people are, are headed in, in these denominations? So young evangelicals are still very conservative. Okay. I mean, I think that, that's, and I always tell people like, imagine you are 17 years old now and you stand up in a classroom where about 20 to 25% of your peers identify as non-binary or not straight and stand up and say, I'm an evangelical Christian. Think about how far that would get you. How many friends you'll win by saying that the answer is none or very few. So if you are going to say you're an evangelical today, you've got to really believe it, all of it. You know, not just like, well, I'm an evangelical in this, but the gay thing, nah, I'm fine with the gay thing. No, that doesn't work. Like you can't, you can't identify that way. It doesn't work that way. So if you look at the data, young evangelicals are as conservative as their grandparents are. But the thing is, the num the share of young people who are evangelical is smaller. So, like, if you make a reduction, like in the in the in the, in the kitchen, you put a lot of liquid in a pot and you put the fire on, and over time, what happens is that water boils, that moisture boils, so it comes and boils off, and so the amount of liquid in the pot gets smaller, but the flavor gets more concentrated. That's exactly what's happening with young evangelicals. There are fewer of them but they are more concentrated in their ideology. You don't have a lot of marginal young evangelicals anymore because why would you want to take on all the stuff that goes with that evangelical label unless you really believed all that evangelicalism had to offer? So I think young evangelicals are conservative. Now, if you look at overall opinion on same-sex marriage, for instance, about 40% of evangelicals are in favor of same-sex marriage today. What is causing that? I think what's really causing that is that a lot of evangelical churches have realized that's not a winning issue. Like, it's better to not talk about it in any way and let the culture kind of decide. Because if you stand up, even if you stand up in a pulpit today and say, our church is opposed to same-sex marriage, who are you going to win? The people you've won are already there. Who are you going to lose? A lot of marginal people. So, you know, we did a survey in 2020. We asked people, what do you think, you know, how do you think your church feels about same-sex couples? And we compared the results from 2007 to 2020. In 2007, 67% of evangelicals said their church prohibited same-sex couples, 67% in 2007. In 2020, it was 34% of people said my church prohibits same-sex couples. And why is that happening? I don't see any – I don't see uh, J.D. Greer. I don't see Rick Warren. I don't see uh, Steve Furtick go up there and go, gay people are cool. You know what they're doing? They're not talking about it. Because that is how you survive in this climate. And when you don't talk about it, that kind of gives tacit approval for people and saying it's okay. Unless you're actively like pushing against your four, I think that's where a lot of evangelical churches are doing the last five or 10. Once a Obergefell happened and same-sex marriage became the law of the land, 
I think a lot of churches said, nope, we're done with that. Let's talk about something else. And they moved on. And I think what's happened is the culture has just changed the opinions of all those folks. Can you tell me how is the increase in Hispanic and Asian Christians affecting the political affiliation? Yeah, so I think for a long time, people assumed that Hispanics are Democrats and are going to help help the Democrats, um, which is still generally true. Democrat, you know, uh, Hispanics, generally speaking, are Democrats, but there are certain subsets of Hispanics who are not so liberal. Um, Cubans, for instance, Cubans are conservative, especially like that Miami story I was telling you about Miami-Dade County switching. I think a lot of that is because a lot of Cubans are culturally conservative. And the Republicans have been very good about driving a wedge uh, about issues about transgender, especially in grooming and book bans and all those kind of things. And I think a lot of a lot of moderate Hispanics in America go, yeah, man, I don't want my kids to learn about gay sex in third grade, even though that's not exactly what's happening. They're framing it that way, which is a winning message electorally. Right. And so I think a lot of Hispanics um, are culturally conservative and were activated by like the discussion that's been going on the last two or three years about drag shows for seven-year-olds and public libraries and things like, whoa, whoa, we're not, we're not for, if gay people want to get married, that's one thing. If the drag, like I had a whole discussion with a guy today about how the LGBTQ movement has lost steam because of the T. Everyone's fine with LGB. They don't care about that. The T has become like the albatross for the LGBTQ movement because that's the part that people are still struggling with is the idea of transgender. You know, if a guy wants to marry a guy, fine. A girl wants to marry a girl, fine. But if you want to change your gender, I think a lot of people go, whoa, that's. And then you get into the whole sports thing. That makes a lot of moderates very upset. Um, when, when you hear Democrats say phrases like birthing person, I think a lot of moderates, a lot of Hispanics and Asians go, what, what is a birthing person? You know, like, let's let's be honest here. Like, that's language that activists use. And I think the Republicans have been very good about saying, look at what the Democrats believe. They don't believe that women give birth. They believe that birthing people give birth. How stupid is that? How out of touch are they? I think that's driving a lot of Hispanic and Asian Catholics and evangelicals to the Republican Party because they just kind of see what that is doing on the left and go, we don't want anything to do with that. So is there a risk that nativists and anti-immigration stances in the Republican Party will drive these otherwise conservative voters away? So that's a great question. And I think it's highly dependent, especially on the Hispanic population, it's highly dependent upon how they came here. If they came here legally, they're going to say, you all should come here legally too. I didn't jump the border and we shouldn't allow anyone else to jump the border. I had to wait in line. I had to do it the right way. I had to pay an immigration attorney to get here and you should too. And that's not saying the immigration system in America is not broken because it's horribly broken. Our current system is so stupid. It's nonsense. But I think a lot of people think, well, why did I, why did I wait in line while well, you guys just jumped the fence illegally and came to this country five years before I did? I don't think that's right. So I think like this nativist language has to be very carefully dialed in, right? Where it's like, we're not anti-immigrant or anti-illegal immigrant. And I think a lot of Hispanic and Asian voters hear that kind of language and go, yep, that's where I'm at. I think the Democrats are in favor of open, which they're not, but that's why they're being painted. Uh, Democrats are in favor of open borders. And I think that kind of, like Trump was very good at saying, like the Democrats want to have wide open borders and pedophiles and rapists and drug mules come across the border all the time. And I think a lot of uh, kind of moderate-ish voters go, wait a minute. I came here legally and I did it the right way. I have a job and I have a green card and I'm working hard and I pay taxes and I com com you know, contribute to my community. And these people are jumping the border and not doing any of that stuff. And that is wrong. And I think that's why a lot of those people are moving towards the Republican side because they thought I did things right. They're doing things. We should not, we should not uh, reward 
uh, lawlessness, right, and, and, and flouting the rules. And I think that's the Republican Party is very good at showing people that they think people are breaking the rules and not doing things the right way. When in reality, by the way, the Republican Party is fighting to reduce the number of legal immigrants to this country, which I think is abhorrent and anti-Christian. But that's just my commentary on the side. And you hinted at this earlier, but if these trends decline, these declining trends continue, what what do you see for America's religious and political landscape 50, 60 years from now? I hate to be, you know, Jeremiah the prophet, as the Babylonians were amassing, um, ready to take over Jerusalem, but I feel like it's gloom and doom. I, I just don't see a world in which we can mend fences. It used to be that religion was a great place to build bridges. You know, you would if you were in a church in the 1980s, evangelical, mainline, or Catholic, you were just as likely to sit next to a Republican as you were a Democrat. It's 40, 40, 40, 40%, 40%. Today, if you go to an evangelical church, there's like an 80% chance you're surrounded by Republicans. So how do you build bridges to the other side when you don't know anyone from the other side? You know, if it's all one note. And the mainline's getting bad about this, too. I mean, a lot of these mainline churches, I mean, it's like good gravy. Uh, you know, they, they, they're they basically saying we do not welcome conservatives here. And I think that's just as bad. I mean, I think when you, you, know, you have signs out front that say that we believe that abortion should be protected and that, you know, that no human's illegal and all this kind of stuff, what you're doing is you're signaling to people there's only certain kind of people who belong in our congregation. And I think that's wrong on the left and the right. I, I believe that Jesus came to save everybody, regardless of who you vote for, on election day. And I think I don't know if that's a radical message, but it seems like it is in, in the 21st century. I don't know. Um, I reminded of uh, uh, a Michael Jordan quote. He was there was a Senate race in North Carolina. He didn't give any money to the Democrat who was running in like a challenging race against the incumbent. And someone asked him about this is like in 1992. Michael, why don't you get involved in politics more? And he goes, because Republicans buy sneakers, too. And I think that's a, a good message for the church today. The Democrats deserve Jesus and Republicans deserve Jesus and Bernie bros deserve Jesus and Trumpers deserve Jesus. They all deserve Jesus. And I think the problem is our churches have become echo chambers on the left and the right. And I, I will, I will, I'm as a mainline pastor, I will throw us in on this as well. And I think American religion was best when it was diverse politically, educationally, economically, and racially. I think it, it's worse when it's siloed. And I think right now we're, we're careening towards the future where Republicans only hang out with Republicans, only worship in Republican churches, only live in Republican states, um, only uh, shop at Republican stores. Because we're seeing boycotts just this week of, of, of Target and Chick-fil-A uh, over kind of some nonsense. Um, and I think we're going to see a future where, where Republicans only shop at certain stores. Imagine a future where you go to a Republican church, your kids go to private school, you live in a very red community in a very red state, you only shop at a store other conservatives shop at. And imagine that on the other side too. Like our country was not designed to be that way. It actually cannot function that way. We cannot survive as a democracy in that kind of future where we're in so incredibly polarized. We don't see the humanity in the other side. And uh, as an academic, there are other academics who have gotten bigger platforms than I have. They've gotten more speaking engagement. They got more book deals. They've gotten bigger audiences on social media because they keep feeding red meat to their base, whether it be the left or the right, and people eat it up. I have not had the same sort of platform that they have, and largely it's because I refuse to give everyone what they want to hear. I want to give everyone what they don't want to hear, which is that you're not right. You are wrong. You need to work on this on the left and the right. No one's perfect, um, and actually no one's better than the other side, and I think that's the problem is we're incentivized right now to if you have any sort of platform at all to kind of give more to one side than the other side, and I think that's so incredibly unfortunate. 
I'd rather be a kind of person who, who talks across the aisle. I've spoken to the Southern Baptist. Well, my favorite, my favorite story is I got actually spoke at the, uh, the Christian, uh, I got a, a spot on the Christian Broadcasting Network in the morning, and I spoke from the Freedom from Religion Foundation in the evening, uh, in the same day. And I think that's, I think that's what we all should be doing, right? Trying to find ways to, to bridge the divide and find different groups and see our commonalities. And I'm amazed when I walk into these rooms, how, how I'm, I'm embraced by people like this. I'm not, you know, no one throws tomatoes at me. They want to see people with different backgrounds. They want to see people who are willing to challenge. You know, what, what do they say a pastor's job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I think, unfortunately, we have done too much um, comforting and not enough afflicting. And I think we need to do both. Pastors, Christians, political leaders. I think that would actually bring us closer together and stop pushing us apart. Very well said. Appreciate your passion and and uh, just all, all of your research and all that you've done with this uh, topic. So we thank you, Professor Burge. And we've we've got a wrap up for today. Be sure to download all of our episodes. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review. And most importantly, tell your friends. Go to gcbm.org for all the links. The Great Collide is a production of the Greater Chicago Broadcast Ministries, a communications ministry of the Protestant, Orthodox, and Episcopal Churches of Greater Chicago in cooperation with the Council of Religious Leaders of Metropolitan Chicago. I'm Leanne Noland. And I'm Jasmine Taylor. Keep the faith. <laughs>